0: All right, go go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, chapter twenty-three. Tonight we're going to begin a, a look at. Um, an, it was kind of a, a another angle on the series we kind of started at the beginning of the semester, but the rest of this semester we're going to look at this, the different statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. Um, hey, happy birthday to Jeremy Page, by the way. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, I just saw him right there. Everybody look at him awkwardly. Um, very good. Um, before, before spring break, we were looking at um, the seven I Am statements in, uh, in John's Gospel. And uh, we finished that. And we, that was part of the series called God With Us. We called it God With Us because those I Am statements, if they do anything, they, they are demonstrating that, that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh who came uh, to be among us. And, and as, he, as he stood, uh, he was claiming that when he stood and said, I'm, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Um, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. But tonight we're changing our, our, um, our direction just a little bit to see that Jesus is not just God with us, um, but that, especially in, in, in giving his life for us on the cross, he he's God for us, uh, and we'll see that especially in what he said on the on the cross. This, this series is going to take us through the end of the semester. I think it's a good time to think about this because, um, especially these, in these weeks leading up to Easter, uh, in the church calendar, uh, this is the season of Lent. Uh, we don't in the in in Baptist world we don't really follow the church calendar very much unless it's just the times that we choose so, like Good Friday and Easter and Christmas. And we're like, these just pop up out of nowhere. We'll kind of forget the rest of the church calendar. But this is a season called Lent. And uh, and, and Lent is a season where you, you essentially have a, a heightened a heightened uh, remembrance of our sin. A heightened remembrance of our, our sinfulness. And the focus of this season is on the acknowledgement of our of our sin, of our brokenness, of and, and, and of repentance of our sins before God. That's the whole. That's the whole uh, emphasis in the season of of Lent. That began on Ash Wednesday, March the sixth, and it's for, it's for forty days leading up to uh, Easter. That's the focus. But this whole season, where we're, it's like I said, it's a heightened acknowledgement of our sin and a repentance of sin, an awareness of our sin. It's 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 not. Uh, it, it's it's doing all that with an eye toward Good Friday and Easter. It's do, doing that with, with toward Good Friday and Easter, where Jesus Christ dealt fully and finally with those sins of which we're so painfully aware during these forty days. So this it's a it's not it's a it's not a heightened awareness of our sins that we wallow in despair for forty days, but it's it's we we we, we focus on on the fact that we're still broken people, so that we make much more of the of the grace of the gospel that we see most clearly in Good Friday and Easter. So that's, that's what I want this series to be for us. And tonight we start that journey. And, um, and tonight we're starting in a chapter where we'll spend three of these seven weeks. That is Luke chapter 23. We're going to find three of the seven statements in this chapter. So we'll be here this week, and again next week, and then the final week we'll be, we'll be here. And in case you don't know what these seven statements are that Jesus made on the cross... I'm just going to lay them out here for you tonight, and then uh, we're going to look at this first one. Um, all seven of these statements Jesus made in the six hours that he was, that he was hanging on the cross. But he, he hung on the cross for six hours, and during these six hours he made these seven statements. and You can piece them together through the different gospel accounts. Um, and and it, here, here, here it is in the order in which they appear to be in the gospels. We're told in, in Mark 15:25 that it was about the third hour when they crucified Jesus, which means it was about 9 o'clock in the morning. They started counting at 6 a.m. So the third hour would be 9 a.m. That's when they um, hung him on the cross. And between, between 9 a.m. and noon, as he was on the cross, Jesus made uh, three statements that are recorded for us. And the first one is this one. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When they cast lots to divide his garments. That's going to be our focus tonight. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a powerful statement. But well, just a few verses later, uh, in verses 42 and 43, he made a second statement. And the, the thief that was one of the thieves on the, on the cross next to him said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And then the third statement he made in in the first three hours he hung on the cross are found in John's gospel, John 19, verses 26 and 27, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that would be the apostle John. When he saw him standing nearby, Jesus said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, woman, behold your mother. And from that hour... He, John, um, took, from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. That was in the first three hours that he hung on the cross, from 9 a.m. to noon. And then it tells us that darkness fell. You know, think about it, it's it's, it's at noon. So he's hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to noon, and it's noon. And all of a sudden it's night. Night. I mean, we're told in Luke, Luke puts it this way, it was now about the sixth hour, that's noon, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. So for three hours it was night in the middle of the day. And for those three hours in which it was just it was dark as night in the middle of the day, as Jesus hung there, Jesus didn't say anything. He spoke no words. There is, at least there isn't anything recorded from his mouth for us in Scripture. And so at the end of that three hours, so around uh, the sixth hour, that is 3 p.m., Jesus spoke again. <clears throat> and in Mark 15, 34, he quotes Psalm 22. It says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't wait to look at that one together. That one's powerful. But as soon as he said that, in John 19 28, he said, he said, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. Fulfilling Psalm 19, excuse me, fulfilling Psalm 69, 17. Two verses after that, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And then Luke 23, 46, coming back to this chapter, is the last statement. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. It's Luke 23, 46. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He breathed his last, that is, until Sunday. Until Sunday. Where those, are, those are the seven, seven uh, things that he said while on the cross. Traditionally referred to as the seven words. The seven words on the cross. I mean, that's more than seven words, but that, that's what they mean. The seven sayings. And tonight we're going to think about the first of those in Luke 23, 34. And so I hope you found that place in your Bible. By now, and so just for context, we're going to start reading in verse 26 and read through verse 34. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and say to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull... That's what Golgotha means, by the way. There they crucified him and the criminals. One on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide up his garments. Let's pray. Father, this is a holy endeavor. It's a holy endeavor, really, every time we, we, we gather around your word and I or anyone else stands to, to teach what it says. I, 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 every time I stand, and especially tonight, I'm mindful of what James tells us um, in James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. I freely confess, Lord, that I need your help to do this. I need your help to teach what what your word says. And we all need your help to hear what it says. Uh, Our hearts are hard, our ears are deaf, and our eyes are blind apart from your, your grace and the help of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth that is here because we confess that this what we just read is your holy inspired and errant inerrant authoritative sufficient clear and necessary word so give us eyes to see the truth that is here i mean see it see it for what it is as truth Give us minds to understand it. Give us hearts to embrace and love it and love you through it. Give me the help that I need. Give us all ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight we're going to think about the first of these, like I said. And and we're going to think more closely about this opening statement there in verse 24. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I don't know if you've ever just stopped and thought deeply about that statement or any of these really. A lot of times when we, when we read them, we're, we're, we're reading like the whole account of his crucifixion. And we're just, we're read, we read this statement and then the, the verse after that, the verse after that. We're just reading the whole story. And we don't really pause to reflect deeply on any, any one of these particular statements. And that's not wrong to read the whole story. You need to read it in context of the whole story. But we often don't just stop and think about these words. They're incredibly sobering as well as encouraging and there's a lot that you could say about them Um, but um, I, I just want to mention three things tonight two things about Jesus and one thing about us in this statement father forgive them for they know not what they do I want to mention three things two things about Jesus one thing about us and then we'll have some time to pray at the end so here's what I want us to see first about Jesus I want us to see his righteousness That he was fulfilling all righteousness and obedience for us up until the very end. But also in light of this, in light of his righteousness shown, we'll also see our depravity. Not just in the mere fact that he's being crucified for us, but in in how specifically he prays while he's being crucified. The very first words out of his mouth. But then thirdly and finally, we'll see again of Jesus, his mercy. That's easily seen in this first saying. So that's how we're going to think about it. So let's let's begin by thinking about his righteousness. And what I'm thinking about when I say his righteousness is seen in this first statement, I'm thinking about three things in particular. I, I want to see his righteousness in three particular ways. Two of those things in what he says in this statement. And third just in view of the fact that he's dying on a cross when he says it, okay? Two two things about his righteousness are seen in what he says. The the third is is just in the mere fact that he's dying on a cross when he says it. And so let's just take them in reverse order. Just the mere fact that he is dying on a cross when he says these words shows his righteousness. Because he is... Y'all hear that? Are we about to blow up? Anyway, he—he um, he is as he hangs there. He is not just hanging there um, as a as a cruel uh, jest of the of the Romans. He's dying there, purposefully dying as a sacrifice for our sins that the law of God demanded. Right? We've been studying through Hebrews this whole school year. And and again and again and again in Hebrews, the author of that book makes the point that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, and that's true. But why ultimately, I'm going to put this question to you, why ultimately did Jesus Christ give his life on the cross? Why ultimately did he do that? You say, well, so that sinners could be saved. True, but not merely that sinners might be saved. Jesus did not die on the cross so that I, the sinner, might be saved. At least that's that's not the ultimate reason. Okay? He died on the cross so that I, the sinner, could be saved, but also so that God could be righteous while forgiving me. You get that? That's the difference. Yes, He died on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins, but He died on the cross so that God could be just and righteous in doing so. Okay, To see that, just consider a few, a few passages from Scripture. Consider what we learned way back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before Him, that is Moses. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, And he said his name first. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? God will not clear the guilty. Or an even stronger statement. There is a stronger statement. Proverbs 17, 15. God says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now that might just seem like, well, yeah. He who justifies the wicked. Like you could think of a cruel, you could think of a, 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 you know, a perverted judge who You know, takes a bribe or something and lets the guilty go free. He who justifies the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. And that might not stand out as remarkable until you come to the New Testament and you read something like Romans 4:5, to the where Paul says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted in righteous. Who is in that verse? Who is him who justifies the ungodly? Who is him who justifies the ungodly? It's the Lord, right? Is Paul not saying it's the Lord here who justifies the ungodly? But I thought we just saw that it's an abomination to the Lord to justify the ungodly. I I thought I just read in Exodus that God will not clear the guilty, and I'm guilty. How can he clear me? How do those two things square? Because of the cross. Paul says in Romans 3, at the very end, in Romans 3, 26, that when Christ went to the cross for our salvation, it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He, God, might be just and the justifier. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. And do you see? Those are the words. Those are the words. Not just so that he might be the justifier. But so that he might be just. And the justifier. Because there's a way that he could be a justifier of the guilty. But he already said in Proverbs 17. That's an abomination to him. So how can he... How can He do that and be just at the same time? How can He be righteous at the same time? Christ on the cross. Why, so I'll ask the question again. Why was the primary, what was the primary reason that Jesus went to the cross? Not just so that a sinner could be saved, but so that God could be just while at the same time justifying guilty sinners. Because he didn't sweep. He's just because He didn't just sweep the sin under the rug. He placed it on Christ who bore it in His body on the tree. So the mere fact that Jesus is on the cross for our sins when He says these words shows His righteousness. Because when He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The mere, that He is saying, forgive them. He is at that very moment providing in His body, dying on a cross. He's providing the very basis by which God could answer that prayer. Think about that. But we see more of His righteousness in what He says in this first saying. Think about the fact that as He's... We just read over... Gosh, we read over stuff like... um, When they came to the place that is called the skull. Four words in our English Bibles. There they crucified him. And it's it's easy to just read a really sanitized version of that. I'm not going to get into the, the grotesqueness of crucifixion. but it's, it's it's easy to read there they crucified him and just blaze right on past it and 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 as he's there in 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 agony in agony his his first word is father father why is that remarkable because he knew that going to the cross was not just an accident of history. He, of all people, knew that going to the cross to his own death was not an accident of history. This, he knew this was the plan of God from before the foundation of the world to save sinners. In fact, it, it was prophesied in Isaiah 53, which, by the way, is, is very much heavily in the background of this passage. He knew Isaiah 53... Verse 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that everything that took place on the cross was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We're told in two chapters later in Acts chapter 4 that those, those men did just what God had predestined to happen. Jesus knew that it was the will of the Father that he die and die an agonizing death on that cross and yet his first word is father and not uttered in anger but in trust Peter says in 1 Peter 2:23 when Jesus was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly and even as he hung there on the cross and suffered he did, by the will of the father he did not waver in his trust of the father he never wavered in his confidence in the goodness of the father charles spurgeon once said and it's a good quote to commit to memory god is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken and so we, when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. But when you can't, when you can't understand why, you can still know that God is good and he's, he's working good. And Jesus never wavered in his, in his trust of the Father. And his first words, don't doubt him, but, but cry out in trust and in faith. And that shows his righteousness to the very last breath of his life. But he's also righteous because when he does pray to the Father, he prays and trusts to the Father. He, he's righteous because, again, Isaiah 53 is in the background. And, and Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes Intercession for the transgressors. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, he's making intercession for the transgressors just like it's prophesied. And he's practicing what he preached when he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. His righteousness is clearly seen here. But so is our depravity. Just consider what he actually prays. He prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's interesting. Father, forgive them. So forgive them. They've sinned. They've sinned. Even though they don't know what they're doing. Think about that. They are sinning even though they don't know what they're doing. Ignorance is never an excuse. We saw not too long ago, again, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. We talked about how on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in, and and it specifically says that the high priest would offer sacrifice for himself, and it says, and for the unintentional sins of the people. The unintentional sins of the people. That's because we have a twofold obligation. Not only to avoid what is wrong, but to do what is right. We sin unintentionally as well as intentionally. And Jesus prays for their forgiveness, even though they don't know what they're doing. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, I don't, I don't know that I have it on the screen, but here's what, I turn right to it. I love when I do that. 1 Corinthians 2.8. Talking about the cross, and Paul had just said how the cross is folly to those who don't believe. So he's talking about the, preaching the foolishness of the cross. He's talking about the cross, and he says in 1 Corinthians 2.8, None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they, so they didn't understand it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Man, they wouldn't have crucified him if they had known. They didn't know. Still guilty. How sinful we are. And don't. I, I, I plead with you. I, when you read your Bible. Get neck deep in it. Like. Like. Slow down. <laughs> Grab hold of every word. Be there with it. Be there with it. Don't, 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 don't sanitize it. Don't move it far away from you. Like, it, it don't, don't remove these things so far away that we don't really see it for what it is, because think about it, think about this. There they crucified him. And those soldiers that crucified him, not knowing what they were doing, sinning anyway, Jesus was dead by three o'clock. I cleaned up and went home to their families that night. You know? Otherwise, ordinary people, maybe upstanding citizens in the community, just like any other day. They weren't a special category of depravity. The Apostle Paul himself saw himself as the chief of sinners because he persecuted the church of God and put, put believers to death but he wasn't a special category of depravity. Which is why Paul would say, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because there's not only a deep capability, there's not just a deep capability to sin in each one of us, but also very often a willingness and a desire to go along with it. When Peter denied Christ three times, just as Jesus said he would on the night that, he, that Jesus was on trial. You know, it says, Jesus said, before the, the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Peter denied him three times. When the rooster crowed, he realized what he had done. He realized he had done just exactly what Jesus had said he would do. And his, it was plain to him how sinful he was. It was plain to him. And it says that Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Sin is an awful thing. Our rebellion to God is an awful thing. And we're rebellious in ways we don't even know, don't even recognize. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus prayed for them to be forgiven not because in every way they knew exactly what they were doing, but because they didn't in a very real way. They didn't know. So we're, what does that teach you? What does it teach? You know, the three questions we ought, to, we ought to ask of every text we come to, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about myself? If I came to this, if I came to Father forgive them, for they don't know what they do, they're doing. I said, so what does it teach me about myself? What does it teach me is I'm more sinful than I think. I'm way more wayward than I think. We're still more bent toward ourselves than we think. As, as the old prayer says, and as I prayed at the very beginning of CBS, the, the, the old the old prayers are good. They teach us how to pray. And the old, the old, old believers prayed. We confess that we have sinned in thought and word and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart, not loved our neighbors as ourselves. So We need to come to grips with our sinfulness so that His mercy is seen more clearly. In all of this, don't don't lose the fact, don't lose sight of the fact that He's praying. And He's praying... For sinners to be forgiven. Here's what I want to focus on at this last point before we break up and pray. He doesn't specify exactly who he's praying for, he just says, them. Father, forgive them. I mean, you can make some educated guesses as to who they were, but you can't be 100% certain. I mean, there's more than one possibility. Maybe they are the soldiers. Maybe they are the Jewish rulers. Maybe they are the mob saying, crucify him, crucify him. I don't know who they are. Maybe it's, maybe it's some of all of them. And we know that the cool thing is we have the book of Acts, where we know that even st- even standing on the, day, on, the, on the day he was crucified, one of the soldiers said, truly this was the Son of God. And we, we see soldiers coming to faith in Acts. Cornelius was one of them. We see even rulers of the synagogues coming to faith in Acts, being forgiven of their sins, just as Jesus prayed. But here, here's what I want to focus on at this point, just final point. I think it's a, I think it's a mercy. I think it's a mercy that it simply says they, them. Father, forgive them. Because then it's legitimate for anyone to see this prayer of Christ prayed for you. You were them. You were they. Here's what I liken it to. I liken it to the fact that uh, to the Corinthians, Paul talked about the thorn in his flesh, but he never specifies what the thorn is. We don't know what the thorn was. And it's a mercy. Because you know what would happen if we, if people are all the time trying to guess what the thorn is. But what would happen if, we, if he told us what the thorn was? What would happen would be this? Maybe not, but, but people would have this tendency. It would always be in the back of your mind. Because right after Paul talks about his thorn, he says, God doesn't take it away, and he says, My grace is sufficient for you. You might be tempted to think that God is, God's grace is sufficient only for that type of thorn. Only for that type of, I don't struggle with that thorn. I have this thorn, but not that one. Maybe God's grace will be sufficient for mine. I know God's grace said it was... No, but he just says he had a thorn and God's grace is sufficient for it. So whatever your thorn is, God's grace is sufficient. It's a mercy. It's not, specif- it's not specified. And in the same way, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he doesn't specify which sinner for whom he was praying. So you can know he's praying for you and for me. It's a beautiful, beautiful saying. Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots to divide up his garments. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this this brief word. We love you, Lord. Thank you for giving your life for ours. Father, I pray that you would shake us out of our familiarity with these things that's crippling our hearts to love you more. Shake us out of that. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Do your work in us. And and give us clear sight, like I prayed at the beginning, into these things. Give us clear sight into the, the righteousness of Christ for us. The depravity of our own hearts, and yet the mercy that overcomes it that even as those who were putting him to death received a prayer of forgiveness that we too Jesus you yourself said blessed are those who have seen and have believed blessed even more are those who have not seen and still have believed so as we as we break up and 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 pray together i pray lord that you would help us to rejoice in our prayer over Who you are. Who you were for us. Righteous in our place. And we might overflow in in genuine thanksgiving for dying on the cross for our sins. And give us a holy um, humility over our sins. If Peter wept bitterly over his sin, why don't we give us a holy humility? Humility over our sins. Give us a deep, deep thankfulness for your mercy and a trust in it. Just as as Jesus said, Father, in a trusting way, as he hung there on the cross, we call on Christ, never wavering in our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.